Chapter 1, The Six Steps. The day was almost dead as the sun cast burnt light through the century oaks of Washington Square in Savannah, Georgia. Maeve was in her mid-twenties, a dirty blonde, wearing Velma glasses and a jean jacket with so many pins on it, if she fell in the pool three foot deep, she'd like to drown. <laughs> she stood in front of a sun-baked yellow house with once white shutters that have for decades been stained with rotted corpses of Spanish moss that hangs over the house from gnarled, verdant branches. It was quiet, but that wasn't out of the ordinary, as its location was on the northeast side of Savannah. Old money town with old money districts, and this district is as old money as you can get. Holler above 80 decibels in this square, then take off running? It'll likely be from the cops. In this square, though, this house, though sunbaked and stained, was worth millions. Maeve examined the house and confirmed what she previously thought. There's no haunted history attached to it, at least that she knows of, and she knows about all of it, at least she does in her city. She doesn't come to Washington Square often, though at least not since the Hampton Lilybridge House exorcism a few years back. And that's not even on the square. See, this city has a European design to it. It's on a grid system. So from north to south, east to west, there are straight roads that only curve around what we Savannians call squares, which are exactly what they sound like. A piece of land about 25 yards wide, named after a part of history, and surrounded by fancy Savannah old money mansions. But Washington Square isn't like the others. Johnson Square is the oldest. Franklin Square has the oldest African-American church in the United States on it. And Wright Square was the old gallows where Alice Riley was hanged. The difference between Washington Square and the others is that there isn't much interesting about it. But that would change today. At least for Maeve it would. Clutching a bright red bag she liked to call Baba Yaga, she climbed the four creaky steps that led to the bright red front door. The steel head of a lion held the door knocker in its mouth. As she wrapped her fingers around the knocker, she noticed how incredibly warm it was despite it being guarded from the sun's rays. The temperature was in the early 70s outside. Normal for short-lived Savannah cold spring season that'll soon dive into the good old Savannah hot spring. Nevertheless, the door knocker felt like it had been baking in the summer sun for hours, which made Maeve think of the first step when investigating a potential haunt. Always start your investigation on the outside to get a grasp of what you're dealing with. Then, after a deep, controlled breath, in a normal speaking tone, she commanded, Tell me what you are. And slammed the knocker against the door three times. Suddenly, the house began to shake as if the earth under it was settling after a large earthquake. As glasses fell out of the cupboard, crashing violently against the floor from the inside, a bellow similar to that of an alligator cut through the air and gradually swallowed up all sound for a few moments before leaving Maeve 
with a sharp silence. Shit. She said as she realized this wasn't going to be the easy breezy, I think there's a ghost dog in my house because I keep waking up to an empty bag of deli meat on the floor type of call. The handle to the front door rattled and the door slowly opened to reveal a pale, drawn lady in her early 40s who reeked of smoked tobacco and most likely hadn't showered for days. She wore a pink blouse under which a black cardigan seemed to melt over her shoulders. Clutching her mother's leg with fear strewn across her face was a little girl in a dark blue dress, maybe nine years old. He doesn't want you here. He knows who you are. The woman and her daughter adjusted their position as Maeve took a bold step inside. She got through the threshold of the door. I can feel him. He wants you to leave. Maeve gently placed her hand on Annie's shoulder, a reassuring touch. I'm sure, because it knows I don't lose. Maeve scanned the foyer of the house, and in her head she thought about step number two. Confidence is key. Most evil becomes powerful through manipulation, and therefore will exploit any pathway led by fear to your weaknesses. The interior of the house was stunning yet dark. To the left, Maeve saw the parlor. Pink velvet couch, crystal chandelier, floral wallpaper that's never seen an ounce of moisture since it was put up. The low country works for a house that dates back to the late 1700s and has been kept in the family. Directly in front of her was a wooden staircase with dark oak steps, dozens of family photos that creep along the wall, and banisters so thick they look like they'd hold the second floor up after a fire and every wall burnt down. Finally, over to the right was the living room, and within it, a large brown leather sectional with two porcelain Dalmatians sitting politely on either end, and a television so small it was ridiculous to set it atop the massive, gorgeous cedar TV stand on which it lived. As the woman shut the door, Ave looked down at the scared girl. What's your name, honey? Mary Beth Ellis. She stopped talking. Maeve bent down to the little girl's level. It's a pleasure to meet you, Mary Beth Ellis. My name is Maeve Stone. Maeve looks up to the mother. And you're Miss Annie, who called me, right? The lady nodded her head. I spoke to your partner, Dr. Pendulum? Pendleton. Yes, right. So sorry. Pendleton. I haven't had much sleep the last few nights. Maeve delivered a light smile. That's totally fine, Miss Annie. There was a silence for a moment or two as Maeve looked the pair over once more as they stood there, holding each other and shaking like stray dogs that need a warm home and food. Maeve motioned with her hand towards the parlor. Let's sit. I need to know everything you know before I go up there. They walked toward the velvet couch. Annie sat in a wicker chair facing the couch from the corner. Maeve took a seat on the couch where she was joined by Mary Beth, who had already noticeably started trusting Maeve. Mary Beth's smile, which contagiously and quickly spread to her mother's face. Mary Beth hasn't smiled for a week. Pulling Annie's attention from her daughter, Maeve leaned forward. Miss Annie, let's begin. Annie dropped her head and began fidgeting with her hands. Maeve then reached down into Baba Yaga, pulled out a red notebook, 
and flipped to a page towards the end where the pen was used as a bookmark. Two weeks ago, we lost great-grandma Delphine. I'm so sorry to hear that. How did she die? A stroke. She died in her sleep. They said she didn't feel anything. Maeve started writing, and Annie, waiting for her to finish, went silent. Go on. I'm listening. Okay, um, so Mary Beth and her great-grandmother were extremely close. Isn't that right, baby? Mary Beth nodded. Was Delphine on your side or the father? Mine. She was my grandmother. My mother died of breast cancer a few years ago. Maeve dipped back down into her notebook, scribbling away. Her death hit Mary Beth very hard the first week. She stopped talking, eating, and drinking. She didn't want to go to school, so I didn't make her. I had to beg her to eat crackers and drink water. I missed my mother terribly. I still do, obviously, but it went into mom mode, you know? Are you a mother? Maeve looked up from her notebook and smiled. I I say yes, but most would say no. What do you mean? Dogs. Annie smiled and nodded. I see. So, what did you use to try and contact her? Annie was immediately taken aback by Maeve's questions. How did you know? The same my first rodeo, Miss Annie. Annie dropped her head, ashamed that she brought this on herself. Miss Annie, what you did wasn't wrong. It's the way you went about it. Your intentions were good, and death, it's, as you know, it's hard. Very hard. The problem is, is that evil knows how hard it is on us. So when you use something like a Ouija board or even something of hers to open up a portal and communicate, she might be there, but she might not. And what you can count on being there every single time is something sinister. And it'll be ready to cross the veil, target you, and manipulate your weakened state. Annie looked at Mary Beth and tears started to fall from her eyes. Miss Annie, listen. You know what you did do, right? You got me here. You didn't try to handle it yourself. You didn't call a priest who just ignore you. You called the woman who dedicated her life to hunting, fighting, and ridding evil from the normal folk who just want to live their normal lives. And she just happened to be right here in your backyard. Annie nodded a little more confident than she was, and wiped her tears. Her wedding ring. I used her wedding ring. Mary Beth peeks over to see Maeve writing her notes. Who is she married to, and is he still alive? Suddenly, Annie fell out of her chair onto her knees, (laughs) wailing. Mary Beth flew off the couch and into her mother's arms and began kissing the side of her head. I'm so sorry. Who was she married to, Miss Annie? (laughs) Maeve closed her book. Annie lifted her puffy, red face from her daughter's shoulder and looked into Maeve's eyes. J.C. Hunter. Maeve, immediately perplexed at her answer, sat there silent for a moment, trying to contemplate how that's possible. Hold on. Let me try to understand. Your grandmother was married to the J.C. Hunter... Like Gribblehouse Triple Axe Murderer J.C. Hunter? Annie swallowed hard, then nodded. Okay, wait, how? He was 64 when he killed Maggie Hunter, Eliza, and Carrie. That was in 1909. He got out of prison and came back here in 1923 at the age of 78. Maeve bit her bottom lip as she counted years in her head. When was your grandmother born? 
1923. Mae put her hand on her forehead, trying to figure this out. The math isn't mathing here, Miss Annie. Annie loosened her grip on Mary Beth and sat on her butt atop the carpeted floor. He met Delphine when she was 10 years old. There, on that porch. She came up selling cookies with her mother and he invited them both in and I don't know. They got along, I guess. I I don't think they knew who he was and what he did. They both kept him company until his mid-90s. And when she turned 16, he asked her to marry him on his deathbed so she could have the house. Her mother wanted the house. Made her say yes. Maeve collapsed back against the couch, slouched and still taking it all in. This city is never boring. And then it clicks. Maeve turns her head to Annie. And that's why you said he at the front door and not it. A moment of silence. It was just quiet now. Maeve looked out of the window to see that night fell. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Tell me, what happened after you made contact with it? Mary Beth laid down in her mother's lap, her face illuminated by the ornate downtownish street lamp outside. Annie attempted to hold back tears and told her story. All we did was simply ask if Delphine could hear us. And then like that, she appeared. It was as if whatever it was was waiting for an invite. And he smiled as she recollected on her initial feelings towards seeing her grandmother for the first time after her death. At first, it was amazing. We were upstairs sitting in the rocking chair in Mary Beth's room because that's where she would read to her. We heard her voice at first. Maeve, it was hers. It was her voice, I'm telling you. She said, my little robin egg. Grandma called Mary Beth her robin egg because when she was born, she came out blue. Then she appeared on the bed, sitting there, smiling. Through a shadow I, I couldn't find the source of, and something seemed off. Mary Beth saw her and flew out of my arms and into hers. They embraced. She kissed Mary Beth's head in the same spot she always did. And she looked up from Mary Beth to me. And there was nothing but malice in her eyes, and her smile was crooked. They weren't her teeth. So I called Mary Beth back, and she, she tightened Mary Beth into her chest and, and said, 
and he dropped her head and scrunched her face up in the same way one does when they stub their toe or have stomach cramps. Maeve leaned forward. She said, Don't you dare try and take her from me, bitch. Bury an axe in your skull and skin you hell and leave this house with her. I was stunned. She let Mary Beth go after hearing that and ran straight back to me. We ran downstairs and haven't been back up since, and every time we try to go to sleep, that thing sits at the top of the stairs in my grandmother's body, smiling ear to ear. The same shadow cast over her face and sings nursery rhymes. Delphine used to sing to both me and Mary Beth when we were kids. Maeve nodded lightly as she stared off into space, then came back to... It wants Mary Beth. You already know that, though. Annie brushed Mary Beth's hair back. I do, yes. The Gribble House murders weren't very well documented, and Maeve didn't want to tell Annie that she didn't know much more than what Wikipedia said about it. Nevertheless, this wasn't the first time she'd went in blind with an entity and certainly wouldn't be the last And that's what makes step three the most volatile of the six steps. Always know everything you can know about an entity before the encounter. Sometimes you don't, but knowing the basics is better than nothing. And she was fairly certain that this was J.C. wreaking havoc on a family directly related by blood to his obsession. I need to make a call. Maeve took Baba Yaga's strap in her hand and stood up. Listen, I don't care what you hear up there. Do not come upstairs. It isn't coming down here because you haven't given it permission. But the moment you break that barrier, my job gets a hell of a lot harder. Annie vigorously nodded. Okay, you won't. Maeve walked over to the bottom of the staircase. From her bag, she took an earpiece attached to a long black strap. After sliding the earpiece into her left ear, she wrapped the black strap one time around her throat. From behind her neck, attached to the black strap, was a cord that fell down to the small of her back. She pulled a copper square, no bigger than an apple, from Baba Yaga and inserted the cord into the side. Ghost box, make contact with Dr. Pendleton. Step four, always. Always stay in contact with your PIP, or PIP, who is in a safe, protected place. For Maeve, her partner in paranormal, or PIP, was Dr. Pendleton, an expert in the underworld in his early 50s who loved research and collecting and telling stories about the ghost he and Maeve would encounter. His safe, protected place simply coined the ghost house was in an undisclosed location somewhere within city limits. On every hunt, Maeve would communicate with Dr. Pendleton through the ghost box, an airtight, crush-proof device that would measure the vibrations from the wearer's throat rather than their voice so the pip in the safe house can listen to whispers as well as normal speaking volume, and it also makes it near impossible for any entity to listen in on the conversation. Maeve looked back at Annie and Mary Beth. Both had moved to the couch and passed out. Annie was sitting up and Mary Beth laid on her lap. They finally got a chance to sleep, and that told Maeve everything she needed to know. 
Due to Maeve's presence, whatever was up there was too apprehensive to sit at the top of those stairs and sing like it's done each night before. An answer on the ghost box. All right, what's the deal? Maeve bent her neck to the left and right, cracking it, loosening up for what's to come. Dr. P, you are not going to believe it. We battled an eight-foot demon in the basement of the Sorrel Weed House last week. I have a feeling I will. Okay, then. Tell me everything you know about good old J.C. Hunter. (sighs) This city is never boring. Okay, okay. Let me see what I can find out that we don't already know. Lovely. I'm heading upstairs now. Maeve took her first step towards the second story of the house. It seems to have a connection with the little girl's upstairs bedroom. The owner of the house told me it's come as far as the top of the steps. Maeve climbed the staircase with the intent of a hunter stalking a deer. As she reached the curve in the staircase, she was able to peer down the hallway. Darkness, except for a faint blue light glowing through an open doorway at the end of the hall. Okay, some things you might not know about our friend J.C. He was a painter and paper hanger by trade. He actually hung the wallpaper in the house where he committed the murders years before. He and Maggie lived out in Guyton, Georgia, where he assaulted Maggie, and he was arrested for said assault. In jail, Maggie made him a deal. She'd drop all the charges if he bought her a sewing machine so she could live downtown and make a living that way. He agreed and was released. Maggie would move into her new downtown digs, and only one day later, she was chopped up. Good info. Anything else? Here's something. JC wasn't his real name. Maeve arrived at the top of the stairs. The hallway looked otherworldly. The walls lost all color and seemed to sag inward. On the floor were shards of glass from every single picture frame and mirror falling to the floor. Unlike the first story, the second story looked nothing like a home. It looked warped and smelled of mildew and sulfur. It wasn't? What was it then? David L. Taylor. And he was a Confederate veteran who was wounded in the Battle of Atlanta. Well, that's good. At least we know he's used to losing wars. Dr. Pendleton chuckled. Maeve continued down the hall towards the room and reached the doorway where she saw the source of blue light was a Cinderella nightlight plugged directly into the wall. On the day of his would-be hanging in the final hour in the middle of his baptism, the governor pardoned him because he was a Confederate veteran. Love to see their priorities were in the right places. Have you reached the room yet? Just walked in. Do you see anything? Maeve scanned the room. No, not yet. As she entered the room, She noticed it felt much colder than the rest of the house. Maeve could see her breath. Next time I go into a house call to fight entities, remind me to bring gloves. Noted. The space was larger than the usual childhood bedroom. Old yellow floral wallpaper clung to the walls, and Maeve had a thought that maybe J.C. hung it himself. Suddenly, Maeve felt a chill glide across her arms, up to her neck. Not from the cold, but more so because... It's here. I can feel its presence. See, what made Maeve so ideal for this job wasn't her bravery or intellect. Sure, those things help, but what made her special was how sensitive she was to the paranormal. She could feel every spirit, see it all, and oftentimes without any aid from objects, be able to speak to the dead. 
They've slowly spun around in the middle of the room, glazing the walls, furniture, and closet with light. The gravity of the situation could be heard in Dr. Pendleton's voice as he asked, Do you have a ritual in mind to bring out? Uh, Maybe something like her wedding ring, or... Come out, you son of a bitch! Or that. That that could work. Now, dear... A sweet, slow, nurturing voice came from within the shadows of the closet. Maeve swung around towards it, and the moment her beam touched the thing in the closet, the bulb shattered and it all went dark. There's no room for that kind of language in this house. Betrayed by the slightest hint of moonlight cast in from the window, an old woman stood inside of the bedroom closet, a pink nightgown draped over her slender body down to her calves. She faced away from Maeve towards Mary Beth's hanging clothes, standing eerily rigid with her hands down by her side. Maeve bent down and placed Baba Yaga on the floor, then reached inside and pulled out around 15 feet of manila rope. Wrapping the end of the rope around her right hand, she said, Turn around, come out and face me, Grandma. Let's go. A girl as sweet as you wouldn't want me to do something like that. Her voice, the voice of a sweet grandmother, dropped down into a lower octave when she said, Now was she. Maeve tightened the rope around her hand, bracing her feet for imminent violence. That's exactly what this sweet girl wants. Granny's head slowly dropped forward further into the closet. A moment of silence. Even the cicadas outside stopped screaming. All that could be heard was Maeve's steady breathing. Suddenly, a wet thwack could be heard as the old lady's head was jolted, falling backwards her throat splitting open but still attached at the neck. It hung upside down as she stared and smiled at Maeve, her long white hair touching the floor, eyes bloodshot with yellow pus. The open throat was sliced to the spinal cord and completely exposed. Lodged deep in the center of her forehead was a hatchet. Maeve's line of vision went past the grotesque scene and into the shadows where she saw the face of something That resembled a human, but wasn't. Crooked teeth, the eyes of a man-eater made up the puppeteer, Delphine's corpse. Dr. P? Do I need to send in gals for backup? You know how step five says? Recognize that evil doesn't die. Truly evil people become tools of Satan. Yep, that's the one. Right in front of me is no doubt a tool of Satan. Without warning, the old lady puppet took a backward step toward Maeve. Another stride toward Maeve, this time heavier and more aggressive. Maeve keeps her line of sight trained on the hideous thing. As the near headless corpse came into the moonlight, Maeve could see that what was controlling her had its hands in Delphine's stomach. Looked like a person who'd been buried and dug up months later, rotted green skin, worm-bitten ears, black gums, and seven feet tall. Maeve stood her ground as it neared. Delphine's lips pursed, and she started making kissy sounds. Come here, baby girl, and give Grandma a little kiss. David L. Taylor. Delphine's body stopped in its tracks. Her expression went from kissy face to fuck you sneer. Yeah. 
We got your number. The sound of a bone snapping as Delphine's head cocks to the right. No, that girl is mine. Right. You might have had luck with little girls before, but Mr. Taylor, you're going to lose this one. All of a sudden, Delphine screeches and runs at me. Entity controlling her body grips her intestines like an Xbox controller from the closet. Delphine, at full speed and full force, lunges at Maeve. Maeve ducks under Delphine while at the speed of light, swinging her hands up under Delphine's left shoulder as she manages to string the rope over Delphine's head and onto her half-severed neck. A demonic roar from the closet cuts through the room as Maeve twists around, crossing the two ends of the rope and cinching it around Delphine. Maeve turned back towards the closet to see J.C. scowling and frustrated in the shadows. For the first time, it looked afraid. Step six. Always have a catchy one-liner for when you're about to obliterate an evil energy. Maeve's glare turned into a smile. Puppeteer ain't shit without its puppet. And with that, Maeve delivered an earth-shattering grunt as she yanked Delphine's caught corpse into a violent spin. Glass and wood exploded as Maeve spun Delphine out of the bedroom window. Her body ejected with such force that she flew Superman-style for a second, then began to fall. Maeve whipped the rope away from the window, decapitating Delphine in one swift motion. The moment her head left her body, the closet ignited in flame and J.C. howled in pain. No, no, no! Maeve winced at the hellacious heat and fell back, smacking her head against the centuries-old oak floor. Maeve? Maeve? Gauss, she's coming too. Gauss? Coming. I'm coming. One second. Dimming the lights. Maeve cracked her eyelids, and the moment she did, light assaulted her retinas. A splitting headache swarmed through the back of her head. Dr. P, I, I, I can't. Settle, Maeve. Everything is fine. Everything is okay. Then suddenly the lights went down. Though the only sources of light were a few lamps and a burning candle, Maeve could only peel her eyelids open enough to see Dr. Pendleton at her bedside, Dr. Gaust approaching from the dimmer, and that she was safe and secure inside of the ghost house. The ghost house was a large warehouse with tall brick walls lined with raggedy, haint-blue linens with 20-foot ceilings and around 3,000 square feet covered in haint-blue and built with wood blessed by Gullah Geechee elders. The space was internationally known as an impenetrable paranormal fortress. Dr. Gauss leaned down and gently brushed Maeve's hair back from her face. Believable job, Maeve. So... So it's gone? You'll leave him alone? It's gone. Until someone else carelessly leaves a portal open. But Annie and Mary Beth are safe. They wanted me to tell you how grateful they are. Gaust was Maeve before there was Maeve. Pendleton and Gaust were a team of ghost hunters and demon slayers for almost three decades. These two men were credited with riding the six steps building and maintaining the ghost house, and defeating over 1,200 demonic or malicious entities. 
or DMEs for short. The Guinness World Record for most DMEs defeated by any PIP team 20 years ago in the prime of their career. Gaust and Pendleton received a call that would be one of the most brutal and evil scenes they'd ever encounter. Yet one of the most important because they'd find under a pile of bodies a five-year-old girl who would change their lives forever. Which leads us further into the other side if you're up for it. Chapter 2, The Girl Under the Corpses. <laughs> 